Welcome to the Creative Coaching Podcast, where we bring together coaches, athletes, former athletes, leaders, and influencers. Everyone has a story, and my hope is that when you listen to their stories, you will be inspired and live your life to tell your story one day. Today's guest is Ali Farouk Manesh. Coach Farouk Manesh is an assistant coach at Colorado State. He also experienced stardom with Northern Iowa in the 2010 NCAA tournament where he hit a big game-winning shot against UNLV in the first round, and in the second round, hit a shot for the ages to beat the number one seed, Kansas. We talked to him today about preparing for where you want to be and working as if you're already there. So I hope you sit back, enjoy this podcast, and you work hard to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Thanks. Thanks for having me. 2010, you kind of came onto the scene, uh, hit a game winner against UNLV, which was great. Then you follow that up with uh, with a, a dagger of a three-pointer against Kansas for, for uh, Northern Iowa with a nine beating a one seed. That was Kansas. Being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, man, that stuff is that's legendary. So I'm so thankful to have you on. Uh, so my first question for you, Coach, is how were you introduced to the game coming out of Iowa? Yeah, um, well, my parents are both coaches as well. Um, my mom was actually the head coach at geez, Weber State, Washington State, Iowa, oh. and um, UNLV. For, yeah. um, and that's volleyball. They were coaching there for about 34 years. And that would that would be, um, be and my dad, that would be volleyball coach. What's that? They were they, she was yeah like, yeah they were volleyball coaches. Okay. You know? So I basically was in a gym all the time, and um, but obviously I was they were coaching women's volleyball, and no one else was really playing volleyball. It was a guy. So at that time when I was younger, I didn't think it was as cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I naturally just kind of flowed the basketball, and yeah. it was a, I was an only child, and it was the one sport that I could go off on my own. My parents were at practice and whatnot and kind of just go to the gym and shoot by myself. Um, wow. So a lot of that came from the, the volleyball situation. And then I was the only child and it made perfect sense. I was always at the gym. There's always people playing. And yeah. I was kind of just drawn to that. And I was drawn to the idea that I could go outside on my own and just play. And I think that's kind of what introduced me to the game. And then it was all just, I fell in love with it from there. You know, when I uh, when I've done uh, you know workouts with kids during uh, volleyball season, it's always like off to the side because volleyball has their nets up. So you're you're really working mm-hmm. in a small spa- space, but you can get a lot done on an individual level. So I, I kind of I, when you're saying that, I'm picturing it and I'm seeing you off to the side, kind of getting shots up, but still keeping an eye on what's going on with the volleyball and making sure you don't get in the way. But yeah, I I, I completely see that. How you could be a gym rat, yeah. even though your parents were volleyball coaches. It's, it's really cool. Exactly. Uh, so, no, exactly. So what was your experience like as a high school player, and, and what was your recruitment like? Um, so I went to high school in Pullman, Washington, at Washington State, um, for my first two years of high school until I was a sophomore. And then my parents took the job at the University of Iowa, um, and I did not want to move to Iowa. Um, cause in the uh-huh. middle of my year, I just, I just was varsity as a sophomore. Um, I started kind of coming to my own and a couple of kids were graduating. So it was kind of going to be my team as a junior. And then all of a sudden we're moving. Um, uh-huh. and so I moved to Iowa and at the time I didn't want to at all. And it ended up being the best move 
for me. Well, not even close. Um, I went to a 4A school, Iowa City West High School, um, and played for Coach Steve Bergman, who's a legendary coach in the state of Iowa, won multiple state championships, has multiple Division One players. Um, and, and so in terms of that, it was, it was perfect for me. Um, had a great career, was first-team All-State, um, MVP of our conference, all, all those good things. Um, but I didn't have any Division One offers, no Division Two NAIA, nothing coming out of high school. Um, and so obviously I was pretty disappointing for, for being a gym rat. You think you get something. Yeah, but um, yeah. it, was, it was painful, to be honest, because you work so hard and everyone tells you you're in the gym all the time, and, but nothing was coming of it. Um, yeah. At least that's how I viewed it. Um, and then decided to go JUCO. Um, and that was kind of my only option coming out was to go JUCO. I, I had the grade. There's nothing wrong there or anything. It was just I really wanted a chance to play Division One, and that was the only route. And yeah. uh, the only schools at that time that were interested in, in me were Division Three schools. There's nothing wrong with that, but yeah. I, my goal was Division One, and I thought I was a Division One player. So I kind of just took the chance and, and bet on myself a little bit. Yeah, no, and that's I think that's a lot of people's story is just kind of believing in yourself knowing kind of, you know, there's something bigger for me, not to big time where I'm at, but there's just something something else. I can sense it. I can feel it. And uh, and that's kind of what propels you to get there at the end of the day. Uh, so going to the JUCO level, what was that experience like? Because you went to a pretty good one. Well, in, in terms of now, like I look at Indian Hills, had a former player there uh, the last couple of years, okay. and that number one, program in the country for a while there before going to the Hutch. And uh, so what was your experience like at the JUCO level? Yeah, it, it was funny you were saying about, like, uh, believing in yourself and whatnot, because I, I remember that, too. With, I have assistant coaches up at my own high school that were telling me, like, why are you going to JUCO? Like, you're not a JUCO kid, <laughs> blah, 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 all those yeah. things. And it was just and, – and it and I didn't understand. I was like – I'm, I want to play Division One. He's like, you can go D two, you can go D three, you can accomplish something else. And I was like, well, this is my dream. This is what I want to do. Like, I, I know I can do it. And it was just, I think everybody that has dreams has somebody, and sometimes it's the own people in your corner that you don't even think think about that kind of steer you off of, of what your dream is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think true. that that was the hardest thing for me is that I had people around me telling me that I couldn't do it. Wow. You know, yeah. and it was people I really believed in, and I trusted their word. Yeah. Um, but went to JUCO and Indian Hills was great. Um, I actually, I actually transferred JUCOs too. So yeah, yeah, I, I went that. to my first JUCO and, and still didn't play. So I went to Indian Hills and, um, it was the best experience and the worst experience. I almost, almost made me quit basketball. Really? Um, because I, yeah, I didn't, I literally didn't, I got the playing time was all over the place. Kind of, um, I sound like the kids that I get mad at now, but playing time was all, <laughs> all over the place. And, some game, one game I had like 21 points because I started point guard, got hurt. And then yeah. the next night I didn't play and I didn't really understand it completely. Yeah. Um, and so I decided to transfer after that. And, um, I actually was going to try to just walk on at university of Iowa. Um, and they told me no too. So I, I decided wow. I was like, all right, I'm going to one more chance. Went to Kirkwood community college. Um, and just dedicated myself to a whole different level. And I was, in the gym three times a day. Like, I'm talking about, like, 6 in the morning. I was in there shooting, coming back in the afternoon, playing pickup, and going back at night and, and getting a workout in again. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just – I was like, I'm doing everything I can to make this happen. 
didn't lose any sprint drills, didn't lose any any drills. I was trying to win every single thing. Just kind of changed my approach a little bit more and had a great season. Um, was uh, first team All American, MVP of the conference, and everything. And I got lucky enough that um, had had a bunch of Division One offers after that. So it was wow. kind of rewarding in that sense of almost giving up to them kind of fulfilling my goal at that point in my career. Well, I think, Coach, you fulfilled your goal because you took on a D1 work ethic. Uh, you know, even mm-hmm. though you weren't at that level, you started working like you were already there because that sounds like a lot of uh, high-level guys is like the amount of time they're putting into the gym on top of going to class, on top of, you know, taking care of their responsibilities, time management, all that. But it sounds like you you, yeah. really, you took an approach like, you know what, I got to start preparing for the level that I want to be at. And, you, you know, yep. the, the power of the word no, it, you know, it's it's unreal because it works kind of both ways. Sometimes you got to learn how to say no to certain things. But when you're told no, man, that can that can do multiple things. But your approach was that no means just not with you, <laughs> you know, not with your your back no, exactly. and your blessing. It means I, I need to find my yes within me. And I think within your work ethic, you found your yes. So that that's you had a fantastic story, coach, and and really great yeah. approach, and and I think players no, can learn right. from that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and, and I think it was it was honestly it was my mom. I remember my mom sitting me down kind of and was like, "You either got to change your dream or change the way you were." And it wasn't right. like I wasn't working hard, but it was more like she just kind of kind of told me that. And my mom's tough, <laughs> um, and she's like a coach, that. obviously. So I remember her sitting me down and kind of going through that with me and I was like well what do you mean like I'm out here working all the time and she's like well maybe it's not enough right now maybe you need to do a little bit more so then I added a little bit more to it and whatnot and and I think then it it brings you confidence once you work to a certain level too I think you get a higher level of confidence and a little more of a trust in your work you know what I mean yeah yeah and I think that's what also happened for me too is that I really I really believe that I deserve this more than anybody else because like I knew I was working harder than everybody else, and there was no question about it anymore. Yeah. You know, and kind of to that point, and moving forward kind of along the lines when when you guys made it to the NCAA tournament with uh, Northern Iowa in 2010, when I think about, I look, I watch the film, and I remember it because I'm a huge, huge March Madness nut. Like, I'll take time off and just dedicate myself for the first and second rounds of just watching every single game that I can. And I remember those games. I remember that shot against UNLV where you were like a thousand feet behind the three point line, man. That was unreal. But it kind of, you, you could do like a timeline. And now that you say that, and I'm, and I'm here again, picturing the shot that you took, I can kind of see like everything playing back. Like I dribble it out, uh, kind of run some clock. Maybe they foul, go to the line, uh, get back in it that way. Or, or set something up, call a timeout. Nah, man, you pull up, <laughs> you pull up for another three. To me, that was like, man, it takes some moxie, but it takes a kid or a young man who was just confident. So everything you're saying to me is kind of like, when I think about it, man, it played out right in front of everyone. What you were doing at that yeah. JUCO level, like, man, it was that was big time shots, man. Like that, that, that is, you know, I, I, I give you credit for it, man. Like. I, you know, I, I look back at that interview you did with those fans from Kansas and they didn't know who you were. And, and I'm watching that and I'm thinking, man, these people don't know, like this guy really messed up a lot of hopes and dreams for those people. 
but at the same time stepped into a dream world that he had already visualized and now it became a reality. So yeah, man, I, I completely see how your drive and how your motivation can take you to that point. And like you said, trusting yourself and trusting what you're doing. It was a smaller level of success, obviously, but making it to the Sweet 16 was, it was great. Yeah. And, and the way we did it was amazing. But I, yeah, I think you look at, you almost look at every like successful athlete and whatnot, or anybody successful in life even, like they go through some trials and tribulations where it's a point where they, it's either you decide to quit, change what you're doing, or push through and work work to a different level that you had been working. You know what I mean? And you see that in almost every single athlete. You hear stories all the time. Like I, I was reading this book about um, Rocky Balboa and how mm-hmm. they gave him the opportunity to. He wanted to star in the movie himself, but this company offered him more money if they would if he would still work with them to make the movie happen. But he wouldn't be the starring actor. Wow. And he said no and turned it down. And they took a lesser budget. And I look at the Rocky movies now. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, where it's like things aren't, might not be working out for you right now. That might not be happening the way you want it to. But if you truly believe and you're willing to sacrifice that much more to accomplish what you want, I really think that things usually work out for those people that work past what they think they can. Yeah. No, as you said a mouthful, Coach. That's, uh, that's a word you could keep with you, put it on the wall, you know, frame it, man, because he could take that to the bank. And I think people in general and kids uh, or young people that like, like you coach, uh, if they can learn from that and they can kind of see your story and see how it played out, imagine how much more successful they could be if they learned that at an even younger age and with understanding no, what their ceiling can be. Because we, we I think yeah. as coaches, we want to project – or we want to coach at a place where we're seeing a complete product already. We're not seeing them where they're at right now, even though that's a reality. But we want to coach them as if they were already where they need to be. And I think that's what you Mm -hmm. saw. That's what you saw in yourself. So I can imagine right now as as you go through your coaching career, you can do that kind of almost second nature because you kind of went, walked the walk, and and that's that's big Mm -hmm. time. So, you know, did you start considering getting into coaching because of your parents, or how did how did how did you decide? Like, I, I want to go into this coaching game. Um, I, I always I always had a thought. Like, I always I enjoyed I enjoyed working out. Like, I enjoyed making my own throws up. Like, I, as an only child, you got to be really imaginative. Yeah. So, I, I really enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed being able to come up with different drills and try to help myself get better in basketball. And then just being around, I mean, you got two coaches in your house, yeah. and I, I didn't have a choice. I was in the post-game interviews with my parents. I was at, I got to go watch Washington State basketball, and Kevin Eastman was there, and uh-huh. Kevin Sampson, um, Paul Graham, um, some of those coaches. They let me in the locker rooms and whatnot. And I just, I loved athletics. I loved basketball, so it kind of just fit hand in hand with everything I wanted, and. I knew I couldn't be away from basketball once it was done. Yeah. And I think those, all those things kind of led to, to me searching out coaching. Um, I think that's kind of where you have to start. Like it's, it's so much different now too. It's like, there's a lot of other things that go into coaching and there's definitely some people that are in coaching for the wrong reasons too. But yeah. if it comes from that place of loving the game, 
then that that's usually where you find the best coaches at any level. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter division one, division two, high school, middle school, whatever it is. It, when you find the people that have the passion for the game, yeah, that those are the ones that are successful and that truly are great at what they do. Yeah, and so that's why that's why I knew I could. That's why I thought I wanted to coach because I had such a passion for the game of basketball, and then the teaching evolved from there. But I think it it started with just that that passion for it, and I knew I, I knew that wasn't going to die anytime soon. Yeah, no, and you you picked a great path. I mean, there's uh, there's those who see themselves uh, playing the rest of their life, but the, the reality is you can't play for the rest of your life. Like father yeah. time is really undefeated unless you're. LeBron James or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who can go probably to their, to their 40 or whatever, but... Already logged like 10,000 minutes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you, you took the right path for who you were and who you're... Uh, I don't know. I think there's a characteristic inside of all, all of us that tells us kind of where we're headed in life, and I think you probably realized mm -hmm. you're way earlier than most and didn't get lost in a, in, a, in a shuffle of sorts and didn't kind of float around. I mean, you, you got right to it, which is great. So being that you're an assistant coach now at Colorado State, and you go through the day-to-day -day grind as a coach, what influences you to do what you do on a daily basis? I, I think part of it's the competition side of things. Uh -huh. I just, I love competing, and this is a different way to compete. Obviously, yeah. it's not it's it's not me anymore necessarily, yeah. but it's trying to help help the guys on our team to compete at a higher level. Yeah. But I, I've always come back to this at the end of the day. Like, I love seeing our guys be successful after pushing through hardships. Yeah. Um, and I think like what we said earlier, they they all have to go through it at some point. If you can't, we always talk about this too about preparing them versus protecting them. Wow. And you can't – There's it, it's a very thin line between the two, and you have to be careful with it too because you also can't – you can't kill them. You can't make them fail consistently, but you also can't protect them to the point where they don't see, a, see that as a possibility or have to reach past their levels of comfort to gotcha. reach past get, – get become successful. Gotcha, um, yeah. And that's, that's, that's why – that's what I love to do every day. That's what I love, love on the grind. I love getting in the gym with guys, working on certain things, talking to them, getting to know them better as people as well. Because I think the other thing that gets lost in the college game nowadays, especially to them, is the fact that these are student athletes. And there's a reason why a student becomes, is before athlete. And that's why the college game was built the way it was the first time around, is to better kids, to get an education, as well as playing basketball. Um, and I think that's what I'm, that I, I, always, I don't want to ever be in a position where I'm only coaching athletes. Yeah. I hope I'm always in a position or wherever I'm at that I'm coaching student athletes and that the educational side of thing is exciting for the kids and that they appreciate it. They don't always have to love it because I get it, yeah. but they have to appreciate it. And yeah. Coach Medved talks about it all the time. Like, we're never going to recruit a kid that doesn't appreciate the academics. That doesn't mean they have to be a 4.0 student by any means, yeah. but they have to appreciate it in the sense that they know, like, hey, this, this degree, if I apply myself, can take me so much further in life than probably basketball because you never know what's going to happen you see so many guys acing, whatever it is kevin durant's injury you never know what's going to happen yeah. but that degree once you complete that that is always with you and that's going to that that will stay with you for the rest of your life i think, but that it, I think yeah. that's yeah i'm sorry coach go ahead yeah that's that's what drives me i guess 
you know, Coach, I'm, I'm not, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, I, you know, kind of drive yeah. home a point that you made or reinforce what you said about the kids who are, you know, understanding of the fact that education is just as important, if not maybe more important for some of them, if they're not the guy, especially. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as far as it, it holds them accountable at every level. Yep. I think kids are, you know, except maybe the pro level, but then there's other things to hold them accountable for what they do on the court. But mm -hmm. I think across the board at the college level, if they understand, like, the whole, I mean, I've heard coaches say this, I got mine, I'm just trying to help you get yours. You know, like, at the end of the day, I've got my degree, I've got what I need to move on to be a professional, whether you become a professional ball player, professional, uh, whatever after that, you need this. You, this is a very uh, key component to your future success on and mm -hmm. definitely off the court. So big, big time perspective when it comes to uh, how, how you're running the program. And I, you know, which leads me to my next question about building culture. How important is building culture in a program as when you were a player and now as a coach? How, how important is that? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's everything. And you see, it's, I don't know if you saw that thing that was going on around on Twitter where like the 15 or 25 new hires from this year in college basketball and they brought up yeah. how everybody was saying culture and the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. clips and whatnot. But um, this has kind of become the cliche word in a yeah. sense. Um, but I, I don't know. I guess when I talk, when we talk about our culture and whatnot, it's more of along the lines of like, our standards and our daily habits of yeah. how we interact with each other, how we interact with the people around campus. Yeah. And, and coach is big on that. And he's, you treat everybody the same, you're on time to everything. If it's a meeting with coach Medved, it's the same as a meeting with an academic advisor, a professor, whatever it is. Like yeah. those are all treated the same. Um, and then we all, and then we talk about too, just how we we're trying to build an identity within ourselves and, I think one we talked about this a lot last year because we were going through some stuff last year that made it a little more difficult to kind of establish the culture. But we talked about what we wouldn't accept in losing, you don't accept in winning either. Yeah, wow. and I think that sometimes you lose perspective on that yeah. when you constantly are thinking about, especially in business where you're getting fired for wins or losses, that you you're only thinking about the win, and then you forget about all the. If, all the other losing things that happened within that that game or whatnot, like you got to confront everything, and the standards are the standards whether you're winning or losing. Yeah. And I think that that really hit home for me when we talked about that more often because you see it so often. And when you're winning, you kind of just win the game, and move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas you yeah. lose and you freak out, and it's sometimes <laughs> it's the opposite. Sometimes you play really well and you still lose. Yeah. And yeah sometimes exactly. you play awful. And the kids are yelling at the refs, and like Jeez. your bench is awful attitudes and whatnot, and you win, but you don't confront those. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And it's like whatever your standards are, whatever you believe in, like it shouldn't matter whether you're winning or losing. You have to you have to identify those and measure those throughout the whole season. And I think we start doing that way more. And I think our guys started buying into that, started acting a certain way towards the end of the year too, which. We start playing better at the end. I don't know if that was a direct correlation or we just made shots, but yeah. <laughs> a little bit of both, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, because the culture, man. I mean, 
I was talking to somebody earlier today and they used the word culture shock or the term culture shock. And I think mm -hmm. players can think the grass is green on the other side and then they go to another program and they're like, I don't like the culture here. Why did, what did I get myself into? Uh, so it does, I mean, you said it's everything. It is everything. Uh, my, my perspective on culture is like, you walk into it, you don't even know it's there. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're living it out, you're walking it out. It's the reason why you say to yourself, I don't know why I like it here, I just do. Or I hate this place. I don't know why, I just do. Well, I think that's culture because of what's happening mm -hmm. around you, how all the moving parts are moving. And, uh, and that's what I love about the term of building culture because it's like if you're not building something, something's either, you know, I, I think of, of cars. If you leave a car just sitting there, it's going to get rusty. The engine's going to get messed up because it hasn't, you, you haven't ran it in a while. And it's like mm -hmm. with, the, with the program, you got to constantly be mindful like of everything you're saying, the whole program, yep. how everything's being done. And I think definitely uh, building culture is so, so important that if you take it for granted, uh, the day somebody comes and tells you, I'm leaving, and you say, why? Because of the culture around here. Then at that mm -hmm. point, you'll say, oh, wait a minute, it was important. <laughs> and, I, and I think yeah, that, exactly. you know, no coach ever wants to be there. So now, yeah. how would you define team success, knowing how important wins or losses are at, at the college level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, it, it, it's harder because you do, like, obviously everyone, everyone else is, is wins and losses, right? Yeah. Like, that, 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 it is what it is. Like, no one's talking about the, no, everyone stopped talking about the Lakers during the playoffs, you know? Yeah. But now, now it's back to talking about the Lakers again. But yeah. you're only talking about the teams that are winning at the end of the season. Yeah. And so, to a certain extent, yes, it is wins and losses. And, like, I don't think you can argue that at all just because that's what we're measured by. The teams that are playing for state championships, for national championships, for conference titles, yeah. the teams that are winning more than they're losing. Yeah. Um, but then I think besides just that, I think if that's the only thing you focus on, well, only one team was a national championship. So is that the only team that was successful that year? Yeah. You know? Yeah, gotcha. I, think it's, I think it's more also wins and losses along with, all right, where you were, have have those guys grown since they've been on campus. Um, like I even I, we talk about small wins. Like we even Nebraska, a couple of our coaches just about like these small wins that we had um, throughout the year. And it was like in a two weeks straight, we had no one late to class, no one late to academic meetings. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a win. Like yeah, that definitely. is a huge win. Is when you start growing that part of the culture as well. And yeah. like now you got to remind yourself of that sometimes so you don't get caught up in just the the left and the right column that you also get caught up in the idea that like, Hey, we haven't had a guy late to class in a month or look, our GPA raised by yeah. 1.0 or whatever it is. Or this guy's been in the gym or he's shown up. Like we do this ball handling team. Like this freshman that I have now on our roster every day before workouts, he comes in and does his ball handling routine. I haven't had to say a word to him about it. Like that's culture and that's yeah. growth, yeah. you know? And I think that's, that's a, that's success to me too. Cause like down the road now, somebody else, now he's going to pass that along to the next guy that comes through and be like, hey, like, throw five minutes early and do your ball handling. Yeah. You know? And I think that, that's growth. And now that kid's becoming elite. And well, I think you got to remember that there's other things that count as success besides that left and right column. Yeah. Yeah. 
Google. It's hard to. It is. I, I get it too because people get fired for that. Yeah. No. Sometimes there's uh, so much at stake because of wins and losses. But I like what you're saying as far as like the little things, the details of that nobody else really sees. You know, in house, mm-hmm. you know why you're successful. In house, you know who's getting yep. better. In house, you know uh, what coaches are really taking you know, initiative to, you know, and, and, I, and it's to hold everybody accountable is who's stepping up and really carrying their weight, who's stepping up and going above and beyond yeah. because that's, that's a team, it's a family, it's an organization, it's a group, however you want to view it. Everybody needs yeah. to be on the same page to an extent and, and, mm-hmm. and or at least in the same, you know, chapter, you know, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That, that's so so key and so important. Uh, so, what experiences or situations prepared you for this particular profession? Because it's unlike a lot of uh, professions in that you don't just get up and say, "Hey, I want to be a college coach," and, and then step into mm-hmm. it and you have any kind of success. Like, there's a preparation for it. There's something that helps you along the way. What, what what helped you along the way, and what was your experience in, in that? I mean, I, I think it just goes back to just I've had I've been blessed with so many great mentors in my life. Like I really have, and I know it's like the most simple answer in the world, but I think yeah. that I do. I have so many great people have been, been able to influence me and influence my career, how I think, and, and whatnot, and challenging. And I think Francis Phil, who's on your on your recent podcast. Phil's been one of those guys that he's always challenged me. Yeah. He's always spoke greatness into me, uh, helped me grow, uh, challenged me a lot while I was at Nebraska. You can ask him about that. Yeah. Um, and then, like, Coach Molinari, who was at Nebraska, Coach Miles at Nebraska, Kenya Hunter, um, Ben Jacobson at Northern Iowa, um, my parents, um, Kevin Eastman, Rod Olson. I, I try to use as many, honestly, I try to use as many people as I can. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of people that are way smarter, a lot better at what they do than me. And I try to combine all that and hopefully I look like a combination of all those great people. And I'll, I'll be all right about that. But, um, I, I really do. I think those people are the ones that have shaped me to kind of how I think and how I approach things. And, um, and even do it like doing this podcast with you. I think this is, this is challenging me to think more now, you know, and maybe think, well, all right, well, what do I define as team success? I never really yeah. thought about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, I think it's just that continuation of meeting more people that that can influence you and, and get you to think differently or think outside of the box and challenge the way you think. And I've been lucky to be surrounded by a lot of those people. That's great, Coach. I mean, a lot of self-reflection comes from either being asked questions like that or uh, being challenged. Like, you're not challenged to the point where you, you just put on cruise control. You're challenged because – you're yeah. in a situation where you're, maybe you're a little not uncomfortable in a bad way, but you're out of your comfort zone, and that kind of sets off yeah. like some internal alarm, and they're ringing, and it's yeah. like re- respond or react, one or the other, but do something. And that's great, Coach. It's a great perspective to have on how you were prepared for all this. So knowing what it takes to be a college coach in that profession and, and coming down the line now, looking forward to the future, what what have you sacrificed to get yourself to this point, and what do you sacrifice on a daily basis? 
Um, I, I mean, my my family. I think my family sacrifices the most. Um, it's it, it's hard. I think you gotta. I mean, every coach probably says that, and I think that's yeah. the hardest thing for me is that you, you sacrifice time with your family, whether it's getting up at six a.m. to go shoot with one of your guys um, early in the morning, um, then you miss breakfast with your kids, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, or you, you're going on a road trip to go scout and you're gone for five days. And um, I, I honestly, I think that's what I sacrifice the most yeah. is my family. I think that's what they sacrifice as well. But I think that's what um, they, they have a great understanding for it. But also then you, I try to get them involved with the team as much as I can. Like, have the guys over for dinner, um, and then my kids are spending time with them, or bring my son to the gym with us, or get my get my wife involved with our with our players more, so then she feels more like, all right, they're, they're part of the family too, you yeah. know. And yeah. I think it's combining both worlds more, but it's um it's difficult. I think Rod Olson, um, a guy that I talked to a lot, he uh, said he said you have to be constantly fighting for balance, and that's wow. okay. Like, you're never going to be 100% in balance. You just have to constantly be yeah. fighting for it. Cool. And and That's to understand, word. it kind of gives me some solace. And, and like, all right, well, I constantly feel off balance, yeah. but I'm fighting for it every day. And it's the minute that he said it's the minute that you stop fighting for it's when you lose it. And yeah. so I've kind of come with the grips of the idea that every day I'm going to be fighting for it. And yeah. so I got to just, I got to work at both constantly. And it's, it's tiring, but at the same time, I get to live out with for basketball yeah. and I get to live out my passion for my family I don't golf so that cancels that out so I'm okay with that but um, to be honest I, I, that the only thing that I sacrifice is really my family because if yeah. I'm not coaching or with our players then I'm with my family and I'm really not doing anything else yeah no that's a great coach and, and I know you say well I think every coach does that yeah uh, but when you think about it it seems like I mean, I just like what you said there about trying to bring the two worlds together because that is a dynamic thing if you can do it. It's, yeah. it's buy-in from everybody. It's almost like, yeah. it's almost seamless. You have a seamless experience, a seamless lifestyle because you don't always want to be, you know, turn it off when you get home, turn it off when you go back. Be the same person 24 hours a day, 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. That's not the easiest thing to do. And, you're, like you're talking about fighting for balance that you're contending too. It's like you're contending yep. because you're, there's something, it's you that you're having to fight. It's your mindset. It's all kinds of things. And, and it's just so complex. And, and I'm, and I'm glad that you, I, I like, I like your approach, man. I like your perspective. I really like the whole idea of, of bringing them together. I, I'm going to take note yeah, of that no. too for myself. <laughs> that's, that's really, yeah. it's really, it's really strong man. really strong. So, I know, yeah, I know, it's I, hard though. Like yeah. I agree with you. Like it's hard, and I don't think it's. It, you just, I don't know. I guess you gotta just come with the accepting of the fact that you're never gonna be in balance. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of hard to accept that. But then yeah. once you do, you realize, okay, well, it, that's okay. But I'm gonna be constantly fighting for it. You yeah. know. Yeah, because coaches, we're kind of like overachievers in a sense, uh, because some, most of us. You know, we weren't the star player. We weren't the the NBA guy, or but we're still a, a part of something, and we're having a great time. And maybe we're thinking to ourselves, "Who am I to be on this platform? Who am I to be doing this?" But I'm doing it, and I'm loving it, and I'm having a great time. So we're yeah. There's an there's an achievement part of it. So I think that's where we kind of got to sit back and say to ourselves, 
all right, what, what's going to be my approach? What's going to be, mm-hmm. uh, what, what can I, what can I sacrifice to do what I do? What can I, what, what are my non-negotiables either? What am I saying? Like, yeah. no, I will not sacrifice that. I will hold on to this. I will, you know, I will to, to, to do a better job of, of trying to fight through balance. And then I think that's great. Like I said, you, like with everything you're saying too, I'm jotting it down, man, because it's good stuff. Now, with all that being said, I know it's still early on in your coaching career. And, and I know like going from one program to the next, as far as when you played as a player, uh, when you were in high school, as a kid, it's like almost like, well, I've lived a couple of different lives already in a sense. And then now as you're starting your coaching career and as that progresses, uh, what can you say or how can you visualize what your legacy is going to be or what you would want it to be coming down the line? Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I think that when I think of, like, when I think about, I, I, like, I was lucky enough that I played too, so um, when I think about the legacy that some of the coaches that I look up to now still, um, it's about the impact that they had on me, and those are the coaches that I remember. Those are the coaches that, changed me you know yeah. and helped me grow to become whatever i am now <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. um but i think that that's that's what i want my legacy to be i guess in a sense is i hope that i can look back and say and help these kids change or impact their lives in a positive way yeah. um to better them from where they are right now when i when i first got to meet them to where they can be yeah. you know and then also probably I want that part of that legacy to be kind of what we were talking about that, you know, I didn't, I didn't just completely sacrifice my family either. Yeah. You know, cause I think that's, that's the hard part too. And I know I'm sure every coach struggles with this is the fact that it's, it always feels like there's something that can, that you can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's always something to do. And I think as coaches, we always feel like that. There's always something to do, but it's realizing at times, is that really pushing the needle? for yeah, me yeah. or do I need to sit down and like hang out with my family right now or can I put my phone to the side for another hour and, and really lock in to hang out with my family yeah. you know and I think yeah. those are the those are the things that I that I hope I can when I'm when I am done coaching that that I have the opportunity to impact multiple kids in a positive way um, and it might not always be the way that you want it to be that I've come to grips with that as well but sometimes it's a two-way street I it, some kids also aren't in the right place to be helped either, you know? Oh, yeah. But I think you still can help them in a positive way. That maybe they don't realize it now, but down the road they, they will. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that, I hope that's my legacy Some at some point. I was able to impact a lot of kids to change their lives, whether it's through basketball, life, um, or whatnot. Wonderful, Coach. That's great. Uh, you know, here at the end now, I just I really appreciate you coming on, your time. I know you're with family right now, and you took the time. Uh, I'm about to head out to a little pool party myself uh, to kind of cool oh, down from this <laughs> Texas heat. And uh, so, you know, I just appreciate your perspective. Uh, I appreciated you as a player. Man, great, you know, the Kansas killer, as you're known. I don't know if anybody calls you that where you're at now, but... Man, that's that's a pretty good little. Uh, I try to plot that in there for people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great nickname, man. And I don't think as, as successful as Kansas has been, 
I'm not sure there's anybody else that I've ever heard been called the Kansas killer. So, you know, Coach, uh, I wish you continued success, and, and, I, and I pray for you and your family have more time together and that, uh, like I said, the success continues and that you're, uh, you're, you're walking into everything that you were called to do with your life and, and that uh, you find fulfillment in all that, Coach. So thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Go enjoy that pool party. Thank you for listening to the Creative Coaching Podcast. You can find us at iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, and you can even follow us on Twitter at Creative Coach 47. Thank you.